0: Wednesday, December 16th. That's today. And today is one of the biggest days on the calendar in college sports because it is National Signing Day in college football. CBS Sports HQ has wall-to-wall coverage. Live, endless coverage until 6 p.m. Eastern. You want to tune in there. If you're listening to the pod at some point Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon, want to check in and see where the biggest recruits are signing and going check in there and then of course of course the cover three podcast those guys do a wonderful job in college football they're gonna have a huge what you need to know recap episode posted to the cover three podcast feed on wednesday night you can get that wherever you get your podcasts so check in and get informed
1: and now let's talk some college hoops Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and his first court report of the season, it has published at CBSSports.com. The lead item is on how some conferences might, as COVID-19 continues to rage throughout this country, pivot to controlled environments. The Big East seems like the most likely candidate to do it. Norlander, it's your column, so I'll let you take it from here. What do folks need to know about conferences possibly using controlled environments to complete this regular season?
0: Sure. Good morning, GP. So this was the lead item. Yeah, the court report for the uh, for those who might not know. uh, It's just a weekly notebook type column that we run during the season. And the first one went up on Tuesday. Uh, I'll put a link in the podcast bio description for this episode if uh, if you want to. Tap through and go ahead and read it, but yes, the big, the main item is is about all of this. So I spoke with Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East, on Monday afternoon, about two hours after the Big East actually released the rest of its schedule for the regular season. It actually hadn't revealed until Monday, just when uh, it plans on playing most of these games in January and February and into early March. Um, but the idea was to talk with Val Ackerman about if you decide to go to a Mohegan Sun or anywhere else. Um, what would have to happen for plans to change? And it's not just the Big East. I just happen to think that the Big East is the one power conference that is best preparing itself to do this if necessary. Although I I, I think the Pac-12, I think the Pac-12 is also um, gonna be in a place where if it needs to, particularly with everything that's happening in California and how it uh, it governs in regard to COVID-19, I think it might be in place there. That would probably be my second most likely and then we'll see if uh, if leagues like the uh, the American, which is an airplane league or the ACC uh, would do it. I don't get the same sense at the moment with the Big Ten, the Big 12. Um, not that they wouldn't, but there are certain leagues where there just seems to be more buzz. The WCC presidents, by the way, are meeting later today. I'm told they have uh, reintroduced. The potential to go to Vegas and play games in a pod if necessary. But anyway, that's kind of a, a broad look at where we are with the, with the conferences. Ackerman told me that a decision on this would almost certainly be made within the next two to four weeks. And the factors that would go into it are um, whether you'd have a situation in the Big East, which has 11 programs, men's and women's. You know, do, we have a, do you get to a point where you have five or six schools that are in a pause at the same time? And then your schedule is just completely, just completely wrecked. Um, would it be a, a situation where you have county restrictions in two or three spots, two or three states, and therefore your hand is effectively forced? Um, you know, she—I didn't put this in the story, but she also mentioned and she she was clear to mention that she hasn't heard anything of of this sort. But if we were to discover that the NCAA tournament was pushed back two, three, four weeks. And those circumstances dictated, or at least allowed for the Big East to uh, get all its games. In. And then the easiest way to do that would be in a controlled environment, that would be another thing. So um, I think the biggest takeaways are the four spot cities that are under consideration are Mohegan Sun, Washington, DC, Chicago, which has WinTrust Arena, which is apparently attached to a hotel, DePaul's new arena, and then the Indianapolis with the the convention center there. Those are the four spots the Big East is looking at. What remains to be seen is, um, would you have men's and women's going to different spots? Because the other thing Ackerman told me was, if this does happen, and I don't think it would happen until mid-January at the earliest, but we'll know in the next two to four weeks, would you send uh, the Midwest teams would go to Indy and or Chicago and all the East, Eastern Seaboard teams would go to D.C. and or Mohegan. So would the men's teams go to one spot and the women's teams go to another, or would they be in the same? That hasn't been determined. But if you're Butler, Xavier, Creighton, DePaul, and Marquette, those are the five Midwest teams, you'd go to the Midwest spots, and then the six others on the East Coast would go to Mohegan and or Washington, D.C. So it's I, I was happy Ackerman was willing to, to talk about this and, and frankly be transparent uh, about the process as much as she could be, because I think it is important, and I do think that you know, more than 3,000 deaths daily in this country. It just, it seems like it could be a, a spot we're inevitably heading to, GP. And that seems even more of a reality on top of, you know, Shyshevsky's comments last week. They kind of trigger this kind of stuff from, from commissioners. So uh, that's where we're at with
1: this topic. Here would be my question. If you are considering doing it, and clearly the Big East is, I mean, they've got actual plans in place or, or possible plans in place. If you're considering doing it, it means you can do it. Like, I remember once upon a time, some people suggested it's just a non-starter. Like, you can't go to controlled environments with amateur student-athletes. Well, yes, you can, because here, here we are. And you have it at multiple uh, conferences considering doing it. So if you're considering doing it and publicly acknowledging that you're considering doing it, that means you can do it. So if you can do it, why don't you do it? What is the argument against it? It's clearly safer if the well-being of the student-athlete is the priority. It is clearly safer to be in a controlled environment than it is to be than it is to f- be flying around the country to to Milwaukee of uh, one day to Omaha, the next to New York City, the next. So it's it's clearly safer. And it's obviously um, it, it's, it's the thing that gives you the best opportunity to actually get through this, because I don't think we can even debate anymore about whether you're going to have constant stoppages and, and programs shut down. It's happening literally every day. So I, I am appreciative of, of acknowledging publicly with you that, yes, we are considering it and we're going to make a decision on it in the next two weeks. I guess I would just wonder if you don't do it, why? Why don't you do it? it, it because you clearly can and it's clearly a better option.
0: The, re- the answer to the question right now is that the commissioner and the ADs and coaches are relying on advice of doctors within the league and then the presidents obviously having the ultimate say. And because because all of these campuses don't have students on them right now, Ackerman told me that the doctors are highly confident. And, uh, okay, DePaul hasn't even played a game yet. But the doctors are highly confident right now that they can continue to get their games in with nobody on campus, and that's still the most workable situation. It's still the preference of, of many in the league, and I would include that to be 80s and coaches, although there are some coaches, I believe, that if you told them, okay... Starting on December 28th until you know January 8th, we're going to send you here. I think a lot of coaches would be on board with that. Maybe not all of them at this point, but I think a lot would. But the doctors say that the traditional travel schedule is workable. But uh, DePaul is the prime example here of why this might be an inevitability in the Big East and or other leagues. DePaul has not yet played a game. And when I talked to Ackerman, they had released a schedule and DePaul was due to play uh, Thursday. At, at Providence after having previous games rescheduled and then had another positive COVID test. It's the third time DePaul has been paused within a month's time. So, uh, again, I feel like the Big East is relatively on top of this and and will be able to pivot, if you will, um, whenever that time becomes necessary. But I wouldn't expect we're, – we're talking here on the 16th of December – I wouldn't expect a decision on this, barring something truly drastic, until at least two weeks from today, and probably more likely the first week of January. I had another source, not in the Big East, but someone who is connected to Mohegan Sun tell me that if this were to happen, that... They wouldn't expect Mohegan Sun to actually be involved in this and host games until the very end of January slash first couple of days of February. If it were to happen there, I do think there's a I do think this is a very uh, doable, if not preferable, uh, solution. One other detail that I think is important here that I don't think will be flexible. Ackerman told me that if this were to happen, um, you have to take into consideration what teams need, what kind of games, and where the schedule is. And having said that, that teams would be asked to probably leave anywhere from 5 to 12 days uh, to be away from their campuses to get games in. uh, Because the one thing that is important, and Jay Wright had mentioned this to me after Villanova's final game at the Mohegan Sun bubble. He said... This was worth it. No regrets. My guys didn't anticipate being here eight days. They thought it was going to be a four-day trip, and so they're definitely done. Like, if we had another opportunity to get a fifth game, I would not take it. Now, part of that's, you know... Expectations perish. They thought they were going for a four-day trip, and twice they went to bed thinking they were leaving in the morning, only to be woken up to say, "Actually, we're staying, and we're going to play another game." So, with all that in mind, the Big East is going to take that in consideration, and this will not be a, a, a deal where the teams are gone for three weeks. It will be five to twelve days, and figure that you know teams will get any anywhere from from three to six games when they do that. So, just uh, I think that's another important thing for people to realize when we talk about this. We're not talking about sending schools and teams away to a Mohegan or Chicago and they're there for five weeks. That's not going to be the case. It will be short bursts, which I probably think is the most effective way of doing it.
1: So if you're going to take the Midwest schools and put them together and the Eastern Seaboard schools and put them together, um, that means they only play each other. If you were to then go to another controlled environment, do you you shuffle it up a little bit?
0: I think so. The one thing Ackerman added is that the only, not the only way, but she said if, if everyone went to the same spot at the same time, that would probably be at the end of the regular season because the schedules would necessitate it. So, just say, like, DePaul hasn't gotten in any games against UConn, any games against St. John's, any games against Providence. It needs to play those teams, so obviously we need to have them in the same building there. Um, that How this... Works out is going to be very interesting because also DePaul just in general is is way behind the eight ball here. It's one of, at this point, I think about 15 schools that still plans on playing a non-conference that has not yet played a game yet. A lot of those teams are actually getting those games in. They got them in last night on Tuesday, tonight or tomorrow, and then even a few more here this weekend. So by the end of the weekend, if those teams don't lose games, we will be in the single digits in terms of teams yet to play a game that are still hoping to play a game. I'm not including Ivy League, et cetera, et cetera there. Um, The one other thing that I didn't include in the court report is, as of right now, the Big East still intends to play its tournament at Madison Square Garden without fans for the men's. And then the women's actually previously already agreed to a three-year deal to play the women's tournament at Mohegan Sun, so that's already happening. Um, I'll be interested to see if the garden is still the choice that's not a cheap thing and if you don't have a gate if you don't have fans uh, what can be done there to, to help with that I'm guessing it'll probably still be there but th- that all remains to be determined as well this will become the idea of playing in different spots we talked about it on the podcast I know plenty but I do think that it's it's kind of destined to become um, a consistent topic weekly in college basketball after Christmas because as expected, GP. I mean, we're hitting an 80% completion rate about in college troops, and uh, the conferences just have to determine if they're going to be good with that, or if they want to get more games in. Because the one thing that Ackerman mentioned to me, and I've talked to a couple other league commissioners in the past two weeks, that they don't want to accept this reality. So it makes them a bit uncomfortable. Um, let's just talk. Let's just you know hypothetically talk Big Twelve. The leagues really don't want to have a situation where. So the Big 12 plays 18 league games. Baylor gets in 17 league games, and Kansas, for whatever reason, gets in 11. You know, and they they want to avoid that as much as possible. And if you want to avoid that, it goes back to what you mentioned at the top. Um, if you can do it, why don't you do it? So I think conferences are going to have to have some come-to-Jesus moments and meetings soon here about plan Bs. And uh, credit to the Big East for being... It, it is a clear plan B at this point. I want to be clear about this. It's not like it's going to happen... But it's not afraid to discuss what what needs to be happening, and frankly, I think that's some some leadership that we should be uh, we should be seeing at the power conference level elsewhere in the sport.
1: Yeah, I, w- I want to be clear too. Like as, as I'm asking questions, like if the Big East is considering doing this, it means it can do it. So why not just do it? I do give them credit for at least acknowledging like this is something we have to consider, and we are considering. Um, I'd be in favor of them just taking it a step further, but like they're doing more seemingly more than most other conferences. So they are to be uh, applauded for that. And, uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Like the big 12 doesn't want a situation where Baylor plays 17 league games and Kansas plays 12. But if you try to do it the way you're doing it right now, that that is going to happen. Maybe not in the big 12, it's going to happen somewhere. Like like you said, DePaul hadn't played a game yet. Like you, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. Whit Babcock, the athletic director at Virginia Tech, held a press conference on Tuesday to discuss a number of things. Among them, that Justin Fuente, his head football coach, is going to return as his head football coach. But he was pretty transparent about the COVID obstacles that football program endured during the season. And he and I don't think I'd ever heard an athletic director put it so plainly. He said. Roughly 75% of our football players got COVID during the season. And I think he said eight out of our 10 coaching coaches on staff got COVID. I mean, it just basically you know went through the entire program. And you'd be a fool to think that's not going to happen in basketball. It's already happening in basketball. And in football, you can get three positive tests, contact trays, sit 10 people down and still play a game. In basketball, you you just, we're we're seeing it every day. Like you get these positive tests, and you got to shut down for seven days, ten days, fourteen days. In Paul's case, so long that you can't even play a game, and the season started three weeks ago. So, um, I you know I don't understand being unwilling to you know you said they don't want to accept this reality. Well, I don't understand not being being unwilling to accept reality. This is our reality, and so I I don't have any doubt that. As Mike Krzyzewski said, we can plow through it, doing it this way, but it will lead to uneven results. You know, some teams playing lots of games, some teams barely playing at all. If if your goal is to do this the safest way possible and avoid that, then the controlled environment is the only way to avoid it. And even a controlled environment is not perfect, but it is so much better than what we're doing right now. And it is literally what I suggested more than four months ago. And I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm just somebody who listens to them. This wasn't hard to predict.
0: My last thing on this, because you mentioned the seven to 10 day thing. So the CDC has reduced its recommendation for a 14 day quarantine for contacts down to, down to 10 days. And, um, Villanova versus Virginia, since we're on the topic of Big East, that game was supposed to be played Saturday at Madison Square Garden. That game is not going to be played. And uh, this is according to a source I spoke to. It's not because Virginia has another positive test. It's that Virginia and or the local healthy county guidelines still haven't adjusted to meet the new CDC recommendation. And so Virginia is just not allowed to leave and go play Villanova at this point. Like it's just, it's not, it's not permissible. Um, So, to that point, if you have other schools in the Big East or in any conference like that, that are still going to have their county guidelines not changed to match the CDC in the next one week, two weeks, six weeks, GP, that's just another reason why leagues could be pushed to strongly consider this, um, because we would, you know, it might be logical to think, oh, well, the CDC, the national governing body for for this has now officially changed its guidelines for quarantines. Wouldn't everyone do it? Well, maybe, but maybe not. And and the bureaucratic process of actually changing that might be a bit of a grind. And so if that's the case, you know, the season's happening now, you got to make changes as soon as you can. And so the reality of that on the ground locally with each school, with each county also could be a factor in ultimately whether, you know, they change how they uh, play the schedule out.
1: So to bottom line, it, Val Ackerman, the Biggie's ca- commissioner, said that you know the league is considering this and will make a decision on it probably within the, the the next two weeks. So we'll we'll wait and see what they do. But I I do applaud that league for at least. Um, publicly acknowledging like this is on the table and, and something that is very much under consideration. If you haven't read it yet, Norlander's court report is posted right now, cbsports.com. It's also on his Twitter feed. It is also on my Twitter feed. Since we last spoke on Sunday night, I suppose the most impressive win that's been recorded belongs to Marquette. The Golden Eagles went inside the CHI Health Center, Omaha, upset Creighton 89-84 on Monday night. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. So Marquette went inside the CHI Health Center Omaha and upset Creighton 89-84 on Monday night. DJ Carton, the Ohio State transfer, got 20 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. Dawson Garcia, McDonald's All-American, got 14 points and 10 rebounds. So now Marquette is 5-2 with wins over Creighton and Wisconsin. The losses are to UCLA and Oklahoma State. That equates to two wins over ranked teams, two losses to unranked teams. It's not good enough for the top 25 and one Mm. as of this moment, Mm. in my opinion, but it's still a, a fine start to the season. Norlander, uh, do you believe in Milwaukee's biggies program?
0: I believe Marquette fans are not surprised at all to to share what you just shared. Uh, I am starting to believe this is a big win. Uh, I, I don't understand uh, the name that you just mentioned with with Creighton, but that's fine to me it's Kyle Corver Arena but that's 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 let,
1: all. Let, let, let me stop here for a second. Uh I hate this arena name. <laughs> I hate it. And <laughs> yeah. let, let me tell you why. Cuz it's CHI which when you read it you don't know whether it's is it is it Cha is it is it uh the Ch- Chai Health Center Omaha or is it CHI? You should not have an arena th- that is diff- that that people can easily mispronounce or misidentify. Like I had to go in. don't ever think I just turn on these microphones and start talking. I do so much prep for these podcasts that I spent time on YouTube watching Omaha news clips to try to figure out how to properly say CHI Health Center Omaha. You shouldn't make me do that. I've got three kids. I got a radio show. I got to rank 26 basketball teams every morning and write a lead item. I got to do TV later on this afternoon i shouldn't have to be watching omaha newscast on youtube try to figure out how to say your stupid arena's name fix this i I also know they got like a 20-year deal worth like 23 million dollars to put chi health center on i know that because i watched newscasts on youtube from Omaha, so I get it. It's a money thing, but we could have done better than this. You're on I top hate, of it. I, I hate this.
0: You're, I'm 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 with you on that.
1: Like Madison Square Garden, that's easy. Nobody's gonna mispronounce Madison. Pinnacle Square Bank Garden. Arena. Pinnacle Bank. It's impossible to win there, but very easy to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if it's impossible to win there, by the way. It is. It
0: well, is I mean, if you're Nebraska, that actually might be true. All right, so it's it's a it's a five and two Marquette team. Uh, coming off a nice win against Creighton, also has a great uh, win uh, against Wisconsin. To me, yeah, Marquette's going to be a tournament team. I've seen I've seen enough. I, I watched their, uh, their loss against Oklahoma State, saw all the Wisconsin game. Uh, it was a tough loss against UCLA. They've, they've beaten Creighton, but I, I like the pieces a lot here. Uh, Kobe McEwen, uh, really good senior. Justin Lewis, solid freshman. Um, been a Theo John fan for years, but to me... DJ Carton uh, is, is a big factor here, and he had a very good game against Creighton. And it, it, what's interesting about what happened on Tuesday night is that, you know, in a couple of hours here, the D1 Council is going to meet, and it is going to pass uh, new legislation for the NCAA that basically says if you are transferring as a college athlete, no matter the sport you're in, and you want to go to another school, you do not have to sit a year anymore. That will be the new life we are in. And that and that's something that Parrish and I, I can remember us talking about this seven years ago on the podcast. So it's finally changing. And DJ Carton was a transfer from Ohio State last year and given immediate, a lot of players were given this, not everyone. But it just kind of goes to show, uh, one, this should be allowable, period. But how much impact this can make, because to me, I, I will say this. Marquette with Carton, Marquette without Carton might be the difference between them being a tournament team and not. I do actually think that is the case. He's eligible, has a really good game, has stepped in and been an immediate impact player, and he was a really good recruit. So this isn't this isn't a surprise or anything like that. He was actually forthcoming about mental health challenges he had at Ohio State last season, transferred out, finds a spot he loves at Marquette, makes an immediate impact there. Great on him, good story there, and I... Have no issue. Always admitting when I'm wrong. I was off on Marquette. You know, right now it's 33rd at at Ken Palm. That part of that's a projection of what the of what his metrics think it will be. Part of it's what they've actually done. We don't get a full uh, a full in season evaluation statistically with Ken Palm until we get to like the end of January. But I didn't think Marquette would be a top 40 team. I do think that they will be this season. I, I've changed my mind. They've got a big game scheduled at home Thursday night against Seton Hall. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I don't know. I've seen enough. I like the pieces. Good size, good shooting, good guard play. Not a top 20 team, I don't think, but a good enough team. And and good on Wojo, who has been embattled a bit. Uh, would have been a tournament team last year, I believe. But uh, And I don't think like he's on the hot seat right now or anything. But I know Marquette fans have been frustrated because they feel like they just quite haven't hit that threshold where they were at with Buzz. But, uh, but this could be the year where there might have been a certain expectation level and the team's going to exceed it. I think that'll be what ends up happening.
1: You look at what that program has lost over the past couple of seasons. You lose the Hauser brothers after the 2018-19 season. One goes to Michigan State, lead them in scoring. One goes to Virginia, leads them in scoring. Then they can't play against each other because of COVID-19. You lose Marcus Howard. You know, consensus first-team All-American off of last season's team. And so there was reason to be skeptical about what this team would be. Um, You didn't know if Kobe McEwen would take the jump that he's taken. Like, I remember talking to the Marquette staff last season, and they were still trying to figure out – this is probably late December, January, I don't know. They were trying to figure out, okay, who is going to be our consistent number two guy? Like, we know what Marcus is and what he's going to do, but who could be the other guy? And they thought it would be Kobe. But it just wasn't. And for people who don't know, he was a three-star prospect, class of two thousand and sixteen. Played two seasons at Utah State, then transferred to Marquette. And he was just, you know, under. He was not what I thought. I'll just put it on me. He's, he was. He was not last season what I thought he would be. And I know that um, the the staff had had identified him as the as the guy who had the ability to be the you know the best sidekick to marcus howard and he just never really established himself as that but now he's averaging a team best 15.7 points 4.1 rebounds 2.6 assists in i believe a team high 31.1 minutes per game shooting 42.9 percent from three he only shot 29.2 percent from three and averaged nine and a half points five rebounds so his scoring numbers way up three point percentage way up and you add dj carton I mean, you mentioned he was a good recruit, top 35 in the class of 2019. Dawson Garcia was 36 in the class of 2020. Like, that's a pretty good top three. And so, yes, I do have Marquette fans tweeting me like, "But why can't Marquette be in the top 25? They can. They're just not. You know, but they they reasonably could be. You know, I do. I've said this for years. I pay attention to the loss column just as much as I pay attention to the win column. And they do have two losses, to unranked teams. But neither loss is terrible. I mean, they're to two possible if not probable NCAA tournament teams so I don't have Marquette in the top 25 and one if somebody puts Marquette on an AP ballot I, I won't shame them for it it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do either way the bottom line is this Marquette is building a really good NCAA tournament resume already and there aren't many teams that have two better wins than the wins they've already got a last second tip and win over Wisconsin uh, and, and, and a, a road victory over creep.
0: I agree. Um, can we get to the news that was by far the best thing that I think both of us saw on Tuesday?
1: Yeah. Um, some encouraging news related to Florida's Keontae Johnson, as you know, uh, the preseason sec player of the year collapsed on the court Saturday at Florida state rushed to the hospital listed in critical but stable condition. On Tuesday afternoon, his parents released a statement. They say he's now in stable condition, breathing on his own, speaking. They said he even FaceTimed with his teammates. So that's all obviously awesome. Still a long way to go, clearly. But I'll just be honest. Based on some of the things I was hearing in recent days, that was a really great update to get. I'm um, just really encouraging news because um, this is obviously a, a, a an unfortunate and 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 scary situation.
0: Paris, when I saw this, it literally uplifted my entire day. Just because there's been so much uncertainty, and like I felt uh, a true jolt of positivity. Because first of all, the way these things are getting released. Uh, for you and I, and, and those in the media and plenty of fans too, like they're, they're getting posted to social media through the Florida Twitter account. And it's just at first, the first thing your eye see is the Florida logo with the dark backdrop, the white text, and you just don't know what you're going to read. So it's always like, uh, you know, an instant set of like, just dread over like, okay, what am I about to read here? But I do want to, I, the, I love this. I love this statement. This is from his parents, by the way. This is even from Florida. This is from his parents. Keontae is in stable condition, breathing on his own, speaking with us and with his doctors here at UF Health. He even FaceTimed with the team, exclamation point. We feel so much love and support from everyone, and we're beyond grateful for the care and attention that Keontae has received throughout these past several days. I'll stop that real quick. They've also set up an address because apparently, you know, people want to send all these well wishes, all this mail. It's got to be... uh, Quite an amazing scene for his family and for Keontae if he's truly you know on the mend and feeling better uh, because he's about to get a mountain range uh, of mail and that'll that'll certainly be something. The the statement continues. We will continue to share updates about Keontae's health and progress. We have seen how much people love and care for him. We hope people recognize that information that doesn't come from us or the athletic department may not be accurate. We are working closely with Keonta's doctors and the UAA to provide information to everyone who cares so deeply about Keontae and has been praying for him. End statement. That may or may not be a reference to a story that was broken by USA Today earlier this week that quoted Keontae's grandfather saying that he had been put in a medically induced coma. It might be referring to
1: something else. Um, but, I read it as a, I read it as a don't pay attention to what grandpa said.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I I thought that was an important thing to put in there. That was a positive statement and just a reminder. We, and this is a reminder to, to everyone, fans, media, like this is a serious, serious, serious medical condition. And, you know, there doesn't need to be a race to scoop Keontae Johnson's status here. Okay. He's in the hospital. His family was no doubt fearing for their child's life a few days ago. And we can rely on the family and the school to update us as need be. So I thought this was a wonderful update. Uh, The fact that we are giving, you know, getting reference to him being awake, alert enough to Facetime with the team, Um, you know, I don't know. know, This this was uh, this was a really, really, really good update. I was, I was, I'm telling you, like I was having a fine day. I wasn't like I wasn't down in the dumps. But when I saw it, like it literally turned my day around. Like it was uh, because I was hoping and waiting we could get good news. And Keontae Johnson's story has just been, you know, it is scary enough, and I think it's something where college athletes pro athletes whether they've been around a situation like this that that is similar or they just understand the nature of of how something like this can affect uh human beings let alone players involved in this it's just one of those things where it has obviously transcended college basketball and he has been getting messages and well wishes from uh no shortage of professional athletes as well so this was a this was a great positive update and we'll wait to see if and when we can get another one later this week and um And just so we know, uh, Florida has, I was told the game will not be played, period, against North Florida, which was scheduled for tonight. Technically, Florida is defining that as a postponement. We'll wait and see. And then it has another game scheduled against Florida Atlantic for this weekend. The status of that game as we record this podcast has not yet been decided.
1: Before we get out of here, uh, there was a significant moment in women's basketball on Tuesday night. Uh, Norlander, I'll let you explain.
0: Well, I, I felt it. Uh, I certainly felt it worth mentioning here. Uh, Tara Vanderveer, Stanford coach, uh, went into Pacific and just <laughs> a typically just dominant win. Got win number 1099, and that is significant because Vanderveer passed Pat Summit on the all time wins list in women's college basketball. Um, so now Vanderveer is the winningest coach in the history of women's college basketball. What's interesting is that. Gino Oriyama is sitting at 1,093. And this used to be a thing with, and I guess, you know, if you really want to get technical, it kind of maybe still is with Bayheim and Kay. But Bayheim lost more than 100 wins due to NCAA vacated wins. We don't have to get down that rabbit hole of why that's, you know, silly or not, whatever. Um, But for the purposes of like official record keeping, that's just no longer close. Bayheim's not going to catch Staszewski. Vanderveer and Oriema, you know, Oriema is 66. Vanderveer is 67. Uh, n- to me, oriyama has got at least five more years. I honestly feel like Orema, unless he wants to get out and like work in the media, become an analyst, which he could have instantly if he wanted to, Oriyama uh, seems like he's got a decade more in him. Um, but we could have a, an intriguing back and forth race here. UConn obviously has been the more dominant program, but Van Der Veer, who started at Idaho in '78, then got to I- I- Ohio State, excuse me, in 1980, and has been at Stanford since uh, since '85, um, won a couple of national championships, been to 12 Final Fours, one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history. And- and there was some there was some cool history that was made on Tuesday night by Stanford. So that's uh, that's a pretty cool deal. And then I think you might want to talk about Pat Summit real quick here, but I'll just I'll just transition it to you with this. You know, Pat Summit. You know, tragically taken from us way too early. And had that not been the case, and had had Summit's health not failed her, um, you know, she'd be running away with this. So Pat Summit rightfully still regarded as one of the greatest coaches in basketball history period and you know if you want to define it within women's basketball she is the best still that's that's it, those who know love cover the sport and know it best understand what gino Auriemma has built and certainly that might be his title eventually if he can keep going and wants to keep going but as of right now where we stand pat summit is still because of what tennessee what what women's basketball was period what she built up she is still the greatest but statistically now the winningest ever for the time being, with six wins ahead of Gino, Gino Emma is Tara Vanderveer.
1: And I love the way Lady Vol Basketball handled this on Tuesday night. They sent a tweet from their official Twitter account. It's at Lady Vall underscore hoops. And it says, uh, 1,099. Pat would be proud. Congratulations, Coach Vanderveer. And it's uh, a, 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 an image of of Pat and uh, Tara. Um Getting ready to embrace. And so it was just a really sweet moment. And as often is the case when stuff like this happens, it, it triggers something in my head and I start Googling. And next thing you know, I'm just, I've spent an hour doing something I did not anticipate doing. So I, I see, you know, suddenly Pat Summit is all over my timeline because of, of, of what happened. And I'm like, I remember writing a Pat Summit column like when she passed. I, 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 I'm trying to find, and I couldn't find it. But I did, I bu- bumped into a, a, like an 11 minute interview I did with Adam Shine on Time to Shine after Coach Summit passed. And it featured me telling, you know, some personal stories I had with with Coach Summit. Like, you know, just, you know, we both spoke at the same coaching clinic once out in L.A., which seemed ridiculous. It is. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is ridiculous. But, um, you know, afterward, there was like a, you know, a cocktail by the pool type situation for all the speakers. And by all the speakers, it's like, you know, 10 people, 15 people. And I randomly ended up at a table just like me and a couple other people and Pat Summit and just, you know, just talking with Pat Summit for hours, which was an amazing experience. But I had forgotten about this story and I heard it when I was, I I told it on time to shine. It's totally a secondhand story, but it's a story from uh, Courtney Bangert who at the time she told the story was the coach at Princeton. Now she's the head coach at North Carolina. And it's just an amazing Pat summit story. As the story goes, Courtney is like a second year assistant. And, um, in, and, in, you know, evaluating prospects at an event in Orlando and she's walking, you know, it's one of the, you've been at these things, you walk into a gym, you're in there all day. You could have walked in and it's sunny. Now you're walking out and it's, pouring down rain Mm -hmm. you have no idea so courtney's walking through the parking lot of this event again a totally no name second year assistant coach in women's basketball and it's pouring down rain she has no umbrella she hears a voice from behind her say do you not have an umbrella or did you forget your umbrella and uh, she turns around it's pat summit and pat summit says here get under get under my umbrella Mm -hmm. and so she gets her under her umbrella and she says okay now let me walk you to your car where's your car and she's like Courtney's in awe. She's like talking. She's under an umbrella with Pat Summit. Like this is a dream, and she uh, embarrassingly says, "Coach Summit, I am sorry. I don't know where my car is. I forgot where I parked it." And she said, "That's okay. We'll uh, we'll just ride around. We'll get in my car. We'll ride around until we find it." And so they find it, and she like thanks Coach Summit. Uh, really honored to meet you. Thank you for helping me. And uh, you know, and she said, "Courtney, that was fun. Uh, I hope to to see you down the road." Fast forward. You know, I don't know, a year later, two years later, sometime later, they're at another like grassroots event evaluating prospects. And, you know, as is the case with these things, often these things happen in places and you walk into any restaurant bar in the area and like it's filled with coaches. So Courtney is going to get late dinner, happens to get seated at a table with her party, about three tables over from Pat Summit and her party. And so they finish their mail, and, and Courtney says, I just want to go over and reintroduce myself to Pat Summit and just tell her, you know, once again, hey, I don't know if you remember, but you did this nice thing for me, and I really appreciate it. And um, so she says, but, but you know, before I, I do that, you know, let me get the check and, and settle up. So they get the, she asked the server for the check, and the server says, Your check has already been taken care of. Coach Summit handled it and told me to tell you good luck finding your car.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Just a, so I mean, good. And, and what you find out is that everybody's got a Pat summit story like that. So a, awesome accomplishment and night for, uh, Tar Vanderveer. But what I love most about it is it brought Pat summit back into the public consciousness and allowed me, I like, I, uh, uh it, it re- reminding me that that story even exists was that put a smile on my face on, on Tuesday night.
0: Without a doubt. That's re- That's a really good story. And yes, um, you Know uh, Vander appeared on SVP's Sports Center show. Uh, did an interview there, and uh, you know, she this is a good moment for her and for Stanford basketball, period. Um, because Tara Vander just isn't as recognizable of a coach as a, of a name, uh, as Pat Summit is. Uh, certainly Gino Auriemma. those who know and love the sport know her, but this she was certainly. It was long overdue and she was deserving of this moment and and I wanted to make sure that we paid her some respect here uh, in the midst of uh, what should be a really good season for uh, for Stanford Cardinal women's hoops. A um, couple quick ones before we get out of here, GP. Since we're talking Stanford and we uh, come full circle. In the court report, I got a story about Stanford assistant. I'm just going to tell it real quick. There's some other stuff in there that you want to read about it. Pac-12 player got scammed trying to buy a PS5, which was which was uh, pretty interesting, some conference expansion news. but So Stanford assistant, men's assistant, Adam Cohen, uh, he flew to North Carolina to be with the team for the Maui Invitational in Asheville. How about this? So Stanford right now, it played at Pacific. It can't play home games, women, men, they can Santa Clara, Stanford, San Jose State. They're all in Santa Clara County. They cannot play. The 49ers playing games in Arizona. So all of this started when Stanford flew out of Oakland to Asheville for the Maui Invitational. The decision to not allow close contact, you know, sports in that county happened when Stanford was in the air. So Adam Cohen lands to he lands in Amarillo, Texas, when they need to refuel. to discover? Oh, by the way, like you just left, and when you come back, you can't. If you come back, like you can't. Play games. You're gonna have to quarantine. You're more than 150 miles away, and his wife has a planned cesarean section. Like it's a disaster. So he has he gets to Carolina, then has to go through the pain of booking a flight back as soon as possible because in order for him to be in the hospital for his firstborn, he had to get back immediately, be with his wife, quarantine the program, and he they kind of kept it on the down low. And, uh, in terms of like, it was, you know, they didn't publicize that he wasn't there at Maui. He wasn't there when they played at NCA and T. And so he got back, little Leo was born. Uh, it, it's, it, it's an amazing story, but it's also a brutal story, you know, in that he got back, was there. Then he left last Friday, drove to Los Angeles from his house near Stanford to play USC. USC canceled its game or postponed it because of COVID. And now Stanford, it played last night, but like. He just became a first-time dad, and he's not with his. He can't be with his kid right now. Like they're not in Santa Clara County, and they got to figure out when they're going to be able to go back. And he he also mentioned to me, he was like, "You know, Jared Haas, the head coach. He's like, he's got three kids. Everyone on our staff has kids. They've been they've been away from their families even longer. Um, This is not an ideal situation." And so I talked with I talk with Adam on Monday uh, to kind of include that anecdote and do give it a read at the court report. There's photos in there and everything, but like, um, it's freaking wild that he had to do that period, and now they're just. They can't. We talk about oh, this team they got a schedule. They got to get home games, or they can't get home games. But it's like you're literally can't go to your family because the rules of the county, and these are you know quasi public figures, like they have to abide by the quarantine rules. And so there's no telling when this is going to change for people in Santa Clara County. There's worry within the Pac-12 if things are going to change in LA County and elsewhere in California. And it when you are when your job description is college basketball coach head coach assistant coach or whatever and your livelihood depends on you being able to travel like it actually has a real significant impact on your family life on a day-to-day basis so we didn't plan on talking this on the podcast but we just talked about tara and i figured i'd bring up uh that other anecdote as well but I, i i thought it important to bring up because that's gp that's brutal i mean we we both fathers think think about when Aiden was born. If you had to leave him within 72 hours for work and when you left, you really didn't know if it would be another 10, 20, 30 days until you saw your firstborn child again.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it's not only rough from that perspective, it's rough for the mother. Of course. You know, you know like a, you know, recovering from a C-section is not, uh, that ain't an easy thing to do. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a hard year. You know, it's a hard year for everybody in a, in a variety of ways, but congrats to Adam. I've known him for a, a while and, um, you know, to, to, to be the, the father of a, of a healthy baby is a, is a pretty awesome thing. So yeah. the, 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 under the circumstances, uh, you know, it, it's less than ideal, but um, he's the father of a healthy baby. And that's, a, again, that's a great deal.
0: I want to get out on one more thing, more of a quizzical note here. I need a verdict from you on something. Mm. Okay. I didn't realize this was a thing until Bobby Regan from Barstool Sports pointed it out on Twitter. Thoughts? On Florida State hanging a 2020 canceled banner and finishing number four in the AP <laughs> poll, they got a banner up there that says "season canceled," and they finished fourth in the poll. They that, and this is all due respect to to Tom, but it feels it feels sort of Tom Crean grabbing a ladder after a loss kind of deal to me. Thoughts, I, verdict?
1: I I would not have even thought to do it. I don't mind it. Because I have thought about like like a lot of people missed out on an opportunity to change their Wikipedia page in significant ways when that NCAA tournament was canceled. Like Bill Self could be a two time national championship coach right now. You know, um, Dayton could have a national title, mm-hmm. um, you know, Florida State Leonard Hamilton could be a final four coach like that's the it, it, I don't think anybody really knocks Leonard Hamilton. But to the extent that you you people might, it'd be like, well, he's never been to a final four. Well, like he had a team that was good enough to get there. He had a team that was good enough to win it all. And so I i don't mind anybody celebrating an a great team, even if that great team wasn't able to see the season through, because of a once-in-a-generation pandemic. Um, again, I—if it were—if I were in charge, I don't think we would have hung that banner. But I'm not gonna clown anybody for celebrating a great team that had its season abruptly cut short.
0: Cancelled spelled correctly on the banner. One L.
1: Thank God. That's good. That's good. That's, That's it. good. Yes.
0: But it it, is, it's it's a, a, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting visual because they. You could have put uh, not anything, but like the fact that they decided, like they someone had to like mock up a design. They're like, "What do we want to put here aside from a logo?" All right, we finished fourth in the AP Top Twenty Five. Yeah, let's just let's just have canceled. Let's just let's yeah. just put canceled. Yeah, like, like like I, I probably, don't
1: know. Like I, I probably would have left the word canceled even with one L off, and I would have just been like, "Hey, let's let's Hey, why don't we carve out a new section because it's their arena? It's the it's it's their arena. They can do whatever they want with it. Why not carve out a new section for?" Every time we finished in the top ten of the AP poll in our history, and and you know, and then the 2020 will just be one of a group. Like I would have probably tried to bunch it in I, to have something so drastically different than everything else. I would have created my own new little section. Uh, final top ten AP poll rankings. Here are the banners that represent that. Maybe I'd have gone that way. Right? Hey, before we get out of here, you want yeah. a trivia time real quick?
0: Uh, uh, of course.
1: Trivia time. All right. Kofi Kofi Coburn got 33 points, 13 rebounds in 25 minutes. Oh, boy. Uh, Tuesday night, Illinois, Illinois' 92-65 victory over Minnesota. Became the first player to get at least 33-13 and 13 in 25 or fewer minutes against a Division One opponent since... Luca Garza. That's not true. Okay.
0: I thought it actually might be true. I thought it might have been a situation it's where a Garza was awesome mess. and you're like, uh, how guessable is this?
1: It's it's uh, very guessable. It is. Um, it was done by somebody who was a awesome college basketball player, top five pick Ooh. in the NBA draft, Ooh. who then did not go on to have a great NBA career. Zion Williamson. <laughs> what are you talking about? Zion Williamson is going to have a great NBA career? He's, he's, he's 19 years old. I'm going to answer drink.
0: the question, but can I just say... I don't understand how that photo of James Harden made him look 29 pounds overweight
1: and then in his uniform he was okay. I, dude, that was like, if I were James Harden, I'd be trying to get that deleted off the internet because he got clown f- seemingly for no reason. Like I saw the I saw the uh, picture and I was like, ooh, James Harden is he struggling like I'm struggling? And then I saw and then I saw the video of him actually playing it and I was like, he doesn't look like that. Exactly.
0: But if we can be honest with ourselves, we kind of want to see James Harden 17 pounds overweight and still dropping 32 at night, which like, he I, could
1: do, which he could
0: do, and I kind of want to have happen, but that wasn't the case. Like
1: like have a fat guy, a fat guard, lead the <laughs> NBA in scoring? Would that be? <laughs> I, I
0: honestly do want i do want that um and i'm also not ready uh, you know, Is what it like college basketball had its couple of weeks without the nba it's we just finished the finals and it's already back it's good for you and your radio show and all that stuff but it's just like oh God, the nba is back already it's already here um who's the answer top five pick decent career
1: i actually thought he should have been the national player of the year in this year i don't believe he was mm. But still, he was a top five pick in the subsequent NBA draft, and but did not have a great NBA career.
0: Give me the conference, Big Twelve. <sighs> um, I'm trying to think of guys that would have that would have qualified because it's got to be a, a big guy. Uh, oh, how about how about Nick Collison?
1: Nick Collison is an incorrect answer. Hmm. Do I have the right barn? No. Okay. Um, I'll give you one more hint and you should be able to get it. And if not, I mean, I'm, I'm in trouble either way here. Uh, <pyáveis> he went to the same school where Brent Stover was once a competitive jogger.
0: Michael Beasley.
1: Michael Beasley, B E Z. In January 2008, got 33 and 15 in 22 minutes, Kansas State's 82 57 win over Iowa State. Coincidentally, Kansas State beat Iowa State on Tuesday night, so the Cyclones are now 1-3 and with losses to South Dakota State and the team that lost to Fort Hayes State, so that's rough. But Beasley was awesome at Kansas State. This dude averaged... He was awesome. He was awesome. He averaged 26.2 points, 12.4 rebounds, shot 53% from the field and um, 38% from three-point range. I thought he should have been National Player of the Year. He wasn't let me guess. Hold on, let me
0: guess. That was 0708?
1: Yeah, I think it was Hansborough, wasn't it?
0: I think Hansborough was player of the year 0708, Yes.
1: Yeah. So, um, but but Beasley was awesome. Then, of course, he's a top five pick, and you know, people people know the rest of the story.
0: A reminder for games to keep an eye out for Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, a bunch of seven o'clock tips that might be intriguing. You've got Butler at Nova uh, seven o'clock on FS1. Ohio State Purdue. Uh, TCU at Oklahoma State, if you want to watch the Cade Cunningham show, he's been the best freshman in America to this point. And then Duke at Notre Dame is a 9 o'clock tip. Jalen Johnson is not going to play for Duke. That was announced on Tuesday. He's dealing with a foot injury. He's actually out indefinitely. So Duke could be looking at uh, at going sub 500 there. Keep an eye on that. Thursday is a pretty solid slate. Kansas at Texas Tech, by far, by far the best game. That's a 7 o'clock tip there. And then NC State at St. Louis, Seton Hall, Marquette, as we mentioned before. And then we'll see if Creighton can recover and uh, and get a win on the road against Golden Gate Mike and St. John's. That's a 7 o'clock tip on Thursday night.
1: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnow. Thank you guys for once again listening to the I Own College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the absolute dumbest and worst pandemic of my lifetime if you enjoy it please tell somebody about it if you're not subscribed please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts including apple podcasts and if you at apple podcasts please rate it five stars leave a nice comment it's always nice to see those either way we're going to talk to you again on friday morning till then take care